listening to the Fish on Ted podcast with your host, Ted Johnson. Well, hello, this is Ted Johnson with the Fish on Ted podcast. It is the year 2023, and uh, we have a great guest. I'm really excited on uh, bringing her on the, the podcast. She has a resume that you would not believe. And so um, anyway, uh, without further ado... Um, we have as a guest, Cinda Howard from Arizona. She runs a professional fly fishing guide business called Fly Fish Arizona and beyond. Um, Cinda has a wealth of experience um, in the industry. She worked for Orvis as a fly fishing manager. Uh, currently, she's a professional fly fishing guide and a fly fishing instructor and been doing that for over a decade now. Uh, she was recently honored in the Hall of Fame by the uh, Wildlife of Tomorrow uh, uh, for Tomorrow Outdoor Hall of Fame, and that was for the year 2022. Um, the Arizona Game and Fish uh, Synopsis, or the or the organization, the governmental organization, has had her um, record fly fishing videos for them. She's an absolute expert when it comes to. Uh, navigating a drift boat, and she's fished all throughout the United States and the Caribbean. Uh, Cinda, are you there? I'm here. Hi, Ted. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. Welcome to 2023. uh, It's going to be a a real interesting year, I think. Aren't you starting out with a little bit of a snowstorm right now? Um, Yeah, we've uh, been snowing, um, I would say, since Christmas Eve. Uh-huh. Um, today's what, the third? Yeah, <laughs> yes, it is. Yep. But I, you know, it's funny. We're have we're in a little bit of a warming pattern there. You know, we've had a little bit warmer than normal year. So it showed up as rain, but turned to snow. And uh-huh. so we're, we're kind of under a bunch of ice and snow, but you know, it's great for our fishing. I mean, this is, this is what we need because Arizona has been in a drought for, you know, we're over 10 years that we've been in a really, really horrible drought. And, you know, we've had two great monsoon seasons and we're having hopefully a good winter. So keep your fingers crossed. There, there you go. Yeah. Now for listeners that are not um, uh, acclimated to this part of the world or your part of the world, they think about Arizona, you know, in Scottsdale and Phoenix, and it's always 120 degrees. And we're talking snow in Arizona. You must be at uh, a higher eva- uh, eva- um, elevation than uh, like Phoenix and those areas. Yeah, you know, so it's funny. You know, when you see these things about Arizona, what what do you see? You see desert, Sedona, yeah. um, Grand Canyon, um, you know, things that, that, you know, really aren't available in other states. But what we have that no one talks about is this beautiful high country. I live at 7,600 feet elevation. I'm 30 minutes from a resort that's over 10,000 feet. Um you know, this, we have the largest ponderosa pine forest in the world. Really? And no one realizes these things about Arizona. We have great fishing. We have great fisheries. We have thousands of miles of wild trout streams. Now, this is small water. It's not big rivers like what you're accustomed to there in Oregon. Right. Um, but it's a beautiful backcountry. You know, I can take off hiking and I can get away from people. I have places that I, I fish and guide that even on a holiday weekend – you know, a Memorial Day weekend or, you know, you would swear you were alone in the forest because we just have such a vast forest and so much public land that's accessible to us and lots of water. Wow. Wow. 
that uh, that's a that's a part of Arizona I have not seen. I've been the you know down the Sedona route and the Phoenix route a number of times, yeah. and it's just always sweltering there. But uh, gosh, it it sounds like a piece of heaven just uh, right up the road. It, it is. It's um it's a beautiful spot, and we're about uh, you know I live about four hours from Phoenix, so it's not horrible. You know you could come up and spend a couple of days you know, flying to Phoenix or even Albuquerque. I'm four hours from Albuquerque as well. Uh-huh. You know, spend a couple of days and fish some beautiful water. We also have some great trout lakes as well. Um, you know, it's just kind of a, you know, it's a, it's probably the best kept secret in fly fishing. Really? No kidding. No kidding. Oh, that's cool. I so, mean, yeah. So how in the, how in the world so did you ever get know in? about it and yeah. I don't live here. <laughs> you, you may not actually know what we have to offer. Yeah, no kidding. So how in the world did you ever get into fly fishing? What What's your story? Well, so I grew up in Texas, small town east of Dallas called Rockwall. Okay. Um, I have older brothers. You know, we, small town, outdoors, you know, you were kicked out, you know, and you came back home when the, when the before the streetlights came on. And I just loved the outdoors and loved being outside. And I, I have two older brothers. Yeah. Who love fish and hunt and all the things that boys in small towns like to do. Uh-huh. And I also love to fish. And when I was young, I used to beg them to take me fishing. And, you know, it probably wasn't cool to take their little sister fishing. Right. But, I mean, I just loved it. And we had a great aunt who lived in Batesville, Arkansas. And she had a pond outside her house, and, you know, we would go up there three or four times a year, and I spent my entire time up there fishing that pond. And it was bass and bluegill and, you know, warm water fish, but I just couldn't get enough. And then when I moved to Arizona in 96, I found a women's fly fishing club called Dom Juliana Anglers. Okay. And because I really wanted to learn to fly fish. My brothers had started fly fishing, though they never taught me, and probably because they didn't know how. This is a very complicated sport, as you know. Right. Um, and, you know, it's, one, hard to learn yourself, and then trying to pass it on to someone else is even more difficult. But I found this women's fly fishing club um, that is no longer around. Um, but, you know, it kind of served a niche, and I met some ladies and learned to fly fish and just kind of took off from there. Wow. Wow, that's cool. So that was in 1996, is that right? 1996. 19, and, and when did you go to work for Orvis then? So I've owned this. So actually right now is my 10-year anniversary uh, with owning my own guide service. So uh-huh. this month I'm celebrating 10 years. Wow, congratulations. So eight years prior to that is when I started working for Orvis. So I left Orvis and started my own guide service. Oh, no, no kidding. So I've been in the industry for 18 years. Wow. That's cool. That is, that is cool. I would imagine that, uh, uh, you had quite a, quite a, a background obviously in fly fishing before joining Orvis, but I would imagine that that just sort of took you to another level. Did it not? Um, it, it did though. I will tell you, um, as a, as a woman, trying to get into the fly fishing industry was very, very difficult. And, if, and if, I'm happy to share that story if you want to hear it. Oh, I'd love to hear it. Absolutely. So the first time I applied for the Orvis company, I had been fly fishing for a while. I was um, involved in fly fishing clubs and somewhat well-known around the community just with my involvement in, you know, the nonprofits and um, – 
clubs and that sort of thing. And so I applied for Orvis and I went through all the interviews and the manager, the store manager really, really wanted to hire me. And she had the district manager come out and interview me, which was just supposed to be a stamp of approval. But he looked at me in the face and he said, men don't want to buy fly fishing gear from women. Oh my God, you're kidding me. And he wouldn't hire me. Oh Yeah, that's exactly what happened. Wow. And they demoted him. They should have fired him, but they demoted him after that. But they still didn't hire me, even though that's what the store manager wanted. Right. So I went back a couple of years later, and I applied for a part-time position. And she was now the district manager. That that store manager replaced the guy that they demoted for not hiring me. Oh, okay. And so she said, if Cinda's applying, hire her. And so I was hired for a part-time job, Mm -hmm. and I quickly became the fastest-selling associate in the store and the reason is because I had something to prove and I needed to prove that men do want to buy fishing gear from women. Sure. They fired their fishing manager that they had hired instead of me and they asked me to reapply for the job. Wow, really? And I became the top selling fishing manager in the Orvis company. No kidding. Wow, that's quite a story. Holy smokes. And I and I will tell you, um in the world of women professionals in fly fishing, uh-huh. I have said this several times, and I truly believe it. I think that we have to work harder. I believe that we always have to be on, I can't have a bad day. Right. And the reason I say that is because that male client, because still 95% of our clients are men. Sure. I mean, I, I suspect that's probably true for most women. Yeah. Guides. Um you know, if I have an off day, that client might say, I knew we should not have gone out with that woman guy. Oh, yeah, yeah. Now, I'm not saying everyone's like that, but I do know that that's still out there. And I do know that somewhat we can still be looked down upon by some people or not taken seriously. Mm-hmm. So I feel like any woman guide you ever go out with, she has to work hard she has to be on her game, and she cannot have a bad day. Right. And I really, truly believe that. Uh huh. Wow. Wow. I never. There you go. I, 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 I get off my soapbox. <laughs> I never <laughs> thought of it that way, but yeah, I'll bet that has been a consistent battle with you. Um, you know, and, and and just you know, trying to establish yourself, and obviously you've you you know through just tenaciousness have got through a lot of those obstacles and. And uh, you're considered one of the top uh, fly guides uh, in in the entire state, if not on the whole West Coast, aren't you? Um, well, I, w- I wouldn't go as far as the West Coast. I mean, I certainly think that I have built a name for myself. Yeah. Um, and and uh, and in, in that side, being a woman, I think ha- I mean it's not all bad. I think being a woman has helped me. I have an odd name, so people know Cinda. Yeah. I'm not another Bob or John or Joe. And fly fishing, right, you know. Right. Um, so I do think it, it has helped me um, by being different. Sure. Sure, and, You know, when I started all of this, you know, 18 years ago, none of the, um, you know, there's a women's initiative that's now going on with Orvis and Trout Unlimited. You know, supposedly women are the fastest growing dynamic in the sport. And none of that was going on 18 years ago. Right. You know, when I first started in fly fishing. And, and I'd like to hope that, you know, I've, I've opened the way for, 
for other women. But look, it's just fishing. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing about fishing that women can't do. That's true. It's not like it requires an absorbent amount of strength. You know, it's, it's, there's nothing about it that we shouldn't be able to do and do well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Ab- ab- well, absolutely. The next guide you hire, look for a female guide. She'll work her butt off for you. <laughs> That's a very good point. <laughs> so, so what do people, you know, what, what sort of things do you offer people when they come fishing with you? I know, I know that, you know, it's primarily just uh, day trips, is it not, uh, that you offer and, and you fish either from, uh, the, the, you know, uh, uh, wading a stream and, and walk and wade and that sort of thing. But then you also have, um, a really cool looking drift, uh, a wooden drift boat that you fish out, uh, out of. And so when people say, you know, Hey, wh- I'm coming up in a couple months, I'd like to book a trip with you. You know, what, what sort of trips do you offer them, Cinda? So I do um, a lot of stream fishing, walk, walk and wade. I already, you know, talked about how we have a thousands and miles of wild trout streams, and so I do a lot of that um, water. Uh, you know, and I also guide on lakes, and that's where I use my drift boat. We don't have any rivers big enough to drift in Arizona, so when I'm in my boat, at, you know, in Arizona, it's on a lake. Uh, so okay. we do have the San Juan River close and things, you know, close, but I don't guide there. I just might go over there to, you know, to fish and have fun. But right. But my, my boat I use on lakes, cause, and the reason I got the drift boat is I do get some clients who just can't do streams anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe they're older or maybe they've got some sort of medical issue. Right. And being able to go out on a lake in my drift boat and catch, you know, a 20-inch tiger trout or Apache trout or a rainbow or whatever it is we're after, I mean, it does open up to be able to do different things for those anglers who just can't you know, do the, the big hike-ins anymore and walk a stream and wade very well. And so, so it, you know, there's probably about 30 trout lakes up here that I have access to along with all the moving water. Oh, that's great. That's great. And it sounds like you have a lot of different species of trout uh, where you're at. We do. Mm-hmm. We do. We, you know, so we, we have a, a trout challenge, which is put on by our state game and fish department. Uh-huh. And there's two. There's one that's wild trout, so you would catch a wild trout, which would be a Gila. And Gila trout are native to Arizona and New Mexico. Okay. It would be an Apache, which is native only to the area where I live, which Uh is the White Mountains of Arizona. Okay. Um, Wild rainbow, wild brown, and a brookie. So there's the wild trout challenge. So you can find... All of those different species in our streams. Uh-huh. And then they have a trout challenge that also includes uh, the lakes. So it could be um, all of those fish I mentioned, plus grayling, tiger trout, cutthroat that are in oh. lakes. Oh, wow, really? So that would be... So, a, um, yeah, so that would be a total of, what, eight different species if you included the, the, the fish in the lakes? Yep. Yeah, so um, what would happen... So you could do the wild trout challenge, and then you could turn around and do the trout challenge. You could do them both, but, you know, the fish pictures that you send in, the fish that you've caught cannot be the same one. Oh, okay. So, and then I send, I send all that stuff in. I email it to Game and Fish along with the pictures and the dates I call them and where they call them. They verify everything and go, yep, okay. And then they send you a, a certificate that you can put on your wall with a bunch of swag. You know, sometimes it's like a... Yeti, and I mean, it just depends on what they have. Could be a sweatshirt, right? But you know, it's just a cool way 
to get people out and to get them fishing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just kind of, if you need a goal, if you're one of those people that you have to have a goal, <laughs> you know, to get something done. That's the you goal. Know, it's just a cool thing to do. And it gets you to different areas, you know, in different waters. And then you could also do the wet. There's a Western Trout Challenge, you know, that includes a lot of different native fish across the West. Uh-huh. And Arizona is included in that as well. Right, right. Wow, that's cool. How many people uh, will book with you? you know, for the, for let's say the trout challenge and, and that sort of thing. And, and do they try to accomplish it all in the same trip or is it broken up between? Um... That's, that's pretty tough. I tried to do that one year myself uh-huh. uh, on the wild trout challenge and I got all of them, but a brookie. Um, so, <laughs> so I need uh. to redo it. Um, but you know, you can take it however long you want to take to do it. There's no timeline. Um, and I do get people, you know, but I will get, you know, People who know how to fly fish, you know, they might go out and get some of the fish themselves, but let's say they're struggling to find an Apache trout or find a brook trout. Those are probably, those might be the two most difficult to find. And they may hire me to be like, hey, I can't find these fish. I'm really struggling. Can you help me? And I'm like, sure. And with that, we could do probably do it in a day. Mm-hmm. Um, and if not, for two days. Right, right. Wow, that sounds like fun. Sometimes the waters are fairly close, you know, so, you know, it's not, it wouldn't be too difficult to get a couple of, two or three species in a day, but to get all of them in a day, you'd really have to hump it. Yeah. And you'd have to have some luck. I'm sorry, you broke up there just a little? I said you'd have to have some luck Ah, on your side as well. Okay, got it. How many people have you, uh, have you had that that have accomplished that? Oh, probably dozens at this point really because this has been going on several years they've been doing the trout challenge so right and i know i've got people booked coming up this year as well who who want to find those fish oh that's cool that's cool so so let's say you get that phone yeah let's let's say you get that phone call that you know somebody calls you up and said you know we just watched the river runs through it and we want to come up and learn how to fly fish do you do you take those types of clients i do um i so when I, when I was working for Orbis, I was doing a lot of instruction, uh-huh. a lot of casting instruction, a lot of fishing instruction. Um, that was one of, the, one of my jobs, one, one of the things that I did quite a bit of. And, you know, having learned to guide as an instructor, I'm a very instructional guide. So I have no issues with those people, you know, who have never fly fished before, who don't have gear, who just show up, you know, um, and they're like, okay, here we go. Um, You know, because I can teach them to cast, I can teach them to fish. You know, I have access to to lots of private ponds and private water, you know, where it's much easier to go and get somebody on their first fish on a fly rod and and waters like that. So, you know, that's not an an issue. And um, something else I want to touch on, I'm a very big stickler about guides really learning how to instruct Mm -hmm. because I feel like we have a job and our job is to make sure people learn how to fish the right way and cast the right way and not pass on our bad habits to our clients, Right. which is why I spent two years with master certified casting instructors learning how to instruct and learning how to, to, you know, recognize faults. You know, I could take you out and watch your cast in a couple of minutes, I could tell you everything that might be going wrong, mm-hmm. whether you're creeping or just a little wristy or not loading your rod enough or whatever's going on. 
And I really feel like we are not doing people justice with all, you know, anybody can guide these days. And you don't have to take any sort of classes. You don't have to do anything other than, you know, in most states, go down and take a test and pay some money and be a guide. Mm -hmm. And just as you can fish doesn't mean you really know how to teach. And I would like to challenge other guides out there who have not done anything to, you know, to be able to help their clients to, to get to that point. Because I spend a lot of time fixing a lot of issues that my, that clients have learned from other people. Oh, I'll bet you do. Yeah. Yeah. In, in, interesting. And not that we don't pick up up on our own because we do. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. Sure. yeah. So true. So true. So I, I do, you'll, do, be, you'll yeah. be doing great. And all of a sudden you're like, what's happened to my cast? And <laughs> you know, you have to go find somebody to help you figure out what you're doing wrong. Right. So you can fix it. Right. Right. Wow. Well, that, that, that sounds like a challenge for your, for yourself. Um, you know, working with people like that, that must be uh, very rewarding. It, it is. And you know, it's, it's always great when you have a client at the beginning of the day that's struggling, you know, because I get those calls, you know, from people who, man, I don't know what's going on and I need to hire you for a day because my fishing just sucks. <laughs> <laughs> my fishing sucks, my casting sucks, whatever's going on. And to be able to start the day with whatever's going on with them and to be able to help them improve throughout the day and to get to the point where they're like, wow, okay, I, I can do this. Mm-hmm. Um, because I honestly haven't met very many people who you who can't learn to, to cast a fly rod and fly fish. Now, obviously, some people, it takes longer than others. We all learn a different level, a different rate. But, you know, if you take the time, get an instructor or get a guide, you know, so you don't get bad habits, you'll be a lot better off. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Good point. And so people can hire you just to uh, um, uh, give them instruction for a day, it sounds like. Yeah, yeah, I do a lot of instruction. Um, like, I have a lot of clients who'll be like, look, I don't care if I catch any fish today. I just need to get better. <laughs> I just need to cast better. I need to be more accurate. You know, getting that fly to go along the undercut bank or whatever it is that they're having issues with, you know. And and I do some instruction down in Phoenix still. There's a fly shop down there called AZ Fly Shop that's been around for a couple of years now. And in the winter, I go down and do quite a bit of instruction, instructing out of their shop so I'll do some classes and they're all full day classes and you know it involves talking about gear and doing a lot of knot tying and rigging and taking them to a park and doing some casting and so um, I do a lot more than just guiding I guide and then I do quite a bit of instruction and, and I'll even do a casting lesson if somebody called me up and said hey can you spend an hour with me sure mm-hmm. if I can make the time and do it I'd be happy I'm happy to oh very good and then, and then you have another dynamic to your business, which is the and beyond thing, because you not only fish Arizona, but but you take um, uh, people fishing to some amazing places. And it's, and uh, I think you and I were talking the other day that you have a, a trip coming up to like to uh, to Pyramid Lake this uh, this spring, and but you also fished where in Belize and the Caribbean and. And, and a number of other places. And, and that sounds like a, a, a lot of fun is uh, connecting up with you to do those types of things. It is. One of the things, you know, Ordis was a great stepping stone for me. Um, you know, it allowed me to meet a lot of people in this industry. 
um, you know, lodges and different guides in different places. You know, they always had a guide rendezvous that I always was, was a part of, you know, when I worked there. And, um, you know, it just it just kind of opened the door. Mm-hmm. And so the trips that I host now, um, some of them are because of my connections that I got through Orbis. Some of them are new connections. But I started hosting trips with Orbis. Uh-huh. Um, and that's where I kind of got my feet wet doing that. And then when I left, I continued to do that. So I've done, you know, I've been to the Bahamas twice. I've been to the Bel- to Belize five times. I've done all the states across the West. Um, you know, I've just been very, very, very fortunate to be able to fish places and then take my clients places. You were talking about Pyramid Lake, um, which is like fishing on the moon, by the way. It's just so <laughs> different, um, fishing off of a ladder. But, you know, so I will. I put that trip together every spring and uh-huh. every March. I put actually two groups together. Um, this year I've got um, 24 total. I have 12 going for a two-day trip and 12 going for a three-day trip. So wow. that's just something else because it still allows me to be able to go fish with my clients, have a good time, mm-hmm. do something different than what's in my backyard. And so I really enjoy that aspect of what I do as well. Yeah. Yeah. And Pyramid Lake, I mean, from the photos that you have shared, uh, shared with me and others that I've seen, I mean, those, those, those trout in there are gargantuan, aren't they? I mean, it's just crazy. So it's it's a a cutthroat called the Lahontan cutthroat Uh and they're a very prehistoric fish. And, um, so Pyramid Lake is like 30 miles across. It is a very, very big piece of water. Wow. I didn't Um, realize that. It's by the Truckee. It is a um, salt. It's a saltwater lake, so it never freezes. Uh-huh. So it could be, you know, twenty something degrees, but it's not iced over because it's salt. And so it's just there's just kind of a perfect storm. It seems that just gets, you know, those fish just get so massive. Mm-hmm. You know, I saw one of the guides that we use out there, um, Ryan Dangerfield. He posted a picture recently of his personal best, and it was a twenty five pound Lahontan cutthroat. Oh, you know, when my. we most places you fish, we talk about trout in inches, right? Yes. Like 20 inches and 25, and that's a big fish. You know, oh, 25 yeah. inch trout, very, very respectable trout. Absolutely. We talk about these fish in pounds because they're just <laughs> so big. Really? <laughs> really? What you know, you get fun. A, um, and it's crazy. You know, you'll catch a five, six pound cutthroat, which any piece of water, that would be a trophy, mm-hmm. and you're shaking it off your line so you can throw back out there to try and get that 20-pounder. It's just, that's what I say, it's like fishing on the moon. It's just so different than any other fishery I personally have ever fished. Wow, wow. You've got a real passion for this, don't you? <laughs> I do. Yes. How can you tell? <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it kind of gives me a segue into the, the other thing I wanted to talk to you about is that um, you're, uh, you're, you're active in the situation going on with the Apache trout, which is um, um, indigenous, is it not, to where you live. And can you kind of bring us up to speed on what's going on with uh, na- you know, the uh, U.S. Fish and Wildlife and the Apache trout situation? Well, so last year, U.S. Fish and Wildlife started um, – talking about taking the Apache trout and the Gila trout off of the um, threatened species list. Okay. Um, and, you know, U.S. Fish and Wildlife, you know, they're the ones, they're, our, they're federal government, not state, 
And so they're the ones that really drive a lot of what's happening with our, um, you know, threatened fish, our, our um, Endangered Species Act. I mean, that's all federal government. Right. And so the Apache trout and the Gila trout both fall into there because they're both on, they were on the threatened list. And so what they are doing is they're removing both of these fish. And, and the issue that I have with that is, you know, I'm probably on the water uh, more than anybody I know. I spend 200 days a year on our waters. Wow. And I see every year, you know, are, are the fish, you know, I, I haven't seen a year where I've gone, oh, my gosh, these fish are rebounding and they're doing so great. That That's not happening. Um, you know, every year I'm having to go out there and I'm having to search hard for them and look for these fish. You know, we're in a drought. We have streams that have hit, you know, one of the Apache trout streams hit 80 degrees two years ago. Oh, my. And we lost a lot of fish. And our, and our issue is why are we wanting to remove the protections of these fish? And that's what I don't understand. Yeah. And I do know that, you know, even when they get removed, they will continu- continue to monitor these fish for, like, several years to make sure that, you know, the numbers are still good, the numbers aren't declining. But I don't understand what the benefit is of delisting them other than attention. Right. Because this will be one of the only species to ever come off the list. So the question is, why? Because, pers- I mean, if we were there, if I know, knew that I could go to any of the very, very, very few streams where there are wild, we're talking about wild fish, not stocked fish. Right. You know, every client I get who wants to catch a wild Apache trout, I have to tell them, look, we're after one. This is the unicorn. Mm-hmm. And if we find one, fantastic. But don't get your hopes up that we're going to catch a dozen because there's lots of days where literally it's one. Really? Wow. I have okay. very few days that it's none. And on those days, we've had some opportunities that we you know, weren't able to connect with. Sure. Um, but it shouldn't be that way to where, you know, as a, as a guide and someone who spends this much time on the water, you know, we should be able to have confidence that if we go out there, we're going to find them. And that's not the case. Right, And, you know, we only have two streams on the forest that I'm somewhat certain we might be able to find an Apache trout. So why are we delisting them? Yeah, no kidding. And there's only a couple of streams on, you know, on the reservation because I'm licensed to guide on the White Mountain Apache Reservation and, um, as well, and so they have a couple of streams as well. And the only reason that we actually have Apache trout is because when they started putting Native Americans on reservations, the White Mountain Apache Reservation, um, you know, they consider headwaters sacred. So they closed all of the headwaters to our streams because oh, really? they own they own the ski resort, they own the mountain that all these streams come off of, which is Mount Baldy. Right. And so they closed all their waters, even to their own people. And so they allowed no one to fish those waters. And it's the only reason that there's any Apache trout left, because they were completely extinct on the forest. No they kidding. had been way overfished, and they were gone. Right. And so the only reason we even have these fish is, is the reservation. Wow. 
They did a great job we of conserving it, did they the not? We can thank the Apache tribe yeah. for having the foresight to go, we consider this sacred, and they've been able to find all of the different strains of Apache trout in their headwaters. Wow, no kidding. No kidding, that's cool. So, so tell us a little about the Apache trout itself. Is, is it a... Uh, how how big does it get in the these small streams? Is it um, is it carnivorous? I mean, is it is it it fights well? Um, it looks like a beautiful fish. It uh, looks like it'd be. They're beautiful. They're very very gold. Yeah. Um, if you were to, to catch one and you didn't know what it was, um, you know, a lot of people immediately think they're brown just because of right. that gold color, but they really don't look anything like a brown, and they're related more to rainbows. They aren't actually related that closely to, you know, most of the native fish across the West are cutthroat. Right. But the Apache trout nor the Gila trout, neither of them are cutthroat. They're more related to rainbows. Okay. Um, they have a very cold gold color with thousands of tiny black spots. Um, and they're just a beautiful fish. You know, in, in our small streams, which are very, the waters that they're in are pretty small. So if you were to catch a 10, 12-inch wild Apache, that would be a big fish. That's a good one. That's a good one. Now, they do stock them larger. You know, they, they put some. There's a lake up here called Christmas Tree Lake on the reservation that is known for trophy Apache trout um, that the, the tribe manages, um, and that's a fun fishery. You know, the tribe has done a good job. You know, they've put them in most of their streams at this point, but, uh-huh. again, a lot of those are stalkers. Right. You know, what's happening, what, what seems to be happening is they're throwing these stocked fish everywhere and going, hey, look, they're recovered. Look, we've got thousands of fish. Well, right. stocked fish are not wild, native, recovered trout. I agree. I agree. Wow. And so that is, that's the issue is, you know, I know that, yeah, are there places we can go catch some soccer? Sure, but that's not what my clients are after. You know, when somebody's doing a trout challenge or people came from, I had clients come from Australia to catch Apache trout. No they didn't come here for a stock. Right, right, right. <laughs> they came here for a wild fish. Yeah. Um, so, and, you know, there lies the issue. And and could there be an abundance of them on the reservation in the closed streams? Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's definitely possible. But a lot of the places that the res has sent me to fish for them, all I found are brown. Oh, really? So, again... I just don't know that they're doing well enough that we should be talking about delisting them. Yeah, no kidding, especially since they've kind of you've gone through this cycle before, right? We have. They've been, you know, they were delisted once before, and they within a few years went right back on the list because they weren't doing well, and and we aren't really any better now than we were then. I right. mean, it's every year in spring. I'm like, okay, are there are we going to find these fish this year? Because uh-huh. you just don't know if they're going to make it. You know, one of the issues we have is Arizona is one of two states that crawdads are not native. Oh, really? No so kidding. our native fish don't eat crawdads. Oh, okay. And crawdads are here, and they're invasive, and our Apache trout don't eat them. So guess what? <laughs> <laughs> they eat the Apache trout and their oh. eggs and the food, and everything else. So we have a lot of issues that aren't necessarily good for, you know, the longevity of these trout. And, you know, and, and, you know, these crawdads don't have any predators up here. Right. There's nothing really that eats them because our Apache trout don't eat them, you know. So so 
in, in streams where there's browns, of course, if the browns get big enough and the rainbows get big enough, they'll lead to crawdads. But, right, right. But you can't intermix those fish with the Apache. The browns will eat them and the rainbows will, will spawn with them and then you'll have hybrids. So there's a lot of problems that are not being addressed um, that need to be addressed for this fish to survive. Yeah. Wow. Well, this is going to be an ongoing battle. It'll be interesting to uh, stay in touch with you, and I hope you uh, can come back and, and give us updates from uh, from time to time on this because it uh, it sure sounds like it needs an advocate on its side like you. Yeah, you know, and, and I'm not trying to be all negative. You know, it probably may sound like that, but I just want to be an advocate. You know, it's something special that we have. There's nowhere else in the world that you can catch an Apache trout. The only place in the world is the vicinity of where I live within probably a 50-mile radius. Wow. It's the only place in this entire world that you're going to find this fish. And so it needs needs advocates. It needs people to speak up with it because we're at a point where you know what's happening with native fish across the West. You know, it's no secret to you. Look what's happening with steelhead in your area, you know. These, these fish need someone to speak up for them, and they, we need to hold, you know, our government accountable. Absolutely. You know, if they're going to create, if if they're going to create an Endangered Species Act, and they're going to act like they care about these fish, then we need to make sure that they continue to do the right thing. And I don't think delisting them is the right thing. Yeah. Oh, very good. Very good. Well, Cinda, we sure enjoy having you on the program and, and you uh, carving a par- portion of your day out for us. This has uh, been a real treat. Um, if people want to get in contact with you, um, what what is a good way to do it? And tell us about the, like the accommodations and that sort of thing that you can um, help people find in your area, because obviously you're um, you know, you're a ways away from any of the big uh, population centers. And so what are the other amenities that they have around you? I am. So um, I I am, the clo- you know, in the White Mountain area, you know, there's several different little small towns and all of them are small. Um, but, you know, there's I put a lot of my clients in this little community called Greer. And Greer is pretty much a vacation summer rental place that has, I mean, it's, it sits at 8,500 feet elevation. There are some trout lakes in Greer. There's a stream that goes right through it. And then it puts people super close to me mm-hmm. so that I can pick them up, eat them somewhere, and then we can go off and go wherever we need to go for the day. Right. Um, so, you know, if they reach out to me, I certainly can help them get accommodations to find me. My website is flyfisharizona.com. Uh-huh. You can find me, I have a Facebook company page, which is Flyfish Arizona. You can find me on Instagram, which is Flyfish Arizona. Um, my email is super simple, cinda, C-I-N-D-A, at flyfisharizona.com. But if you go to my website, you will find everything there that you need. You can, you know, you can email me, you can read my blog, you can look at some videos, and you can book a trip on my website as well, thanks to Ted. So, oh, well, thank you. <laughs> thank you for the plug. Um, I appreciate uh, that. <laughs> I, <laughs> Wow, well that that that's amazing, and your I'm and I know your calendar fills up pretty quick. I mean, if uh, if somebody's visiting the Phoenix area in the spring or the summer, and they go, oh, I want to come up and fish tomorrow with Cinda, uh, that probably is not going to happen. They've got to get on your calendar pretty quick, don't they? They do. As so, this past year, as of March, almost my entire summer was booked. Um, cause I'm just one person and somehow people know about me, which I'm very grateful for. Absolutely. And I'm lucky that I have a couple of 
really good guides who I work with, who I can, um, who we do some stuff together. We do some big trips together. We do, um, you know, and, and or, or if you can't get me and you're willing to go with someone else, I can refer you out. But, um, but we do have a great, you know, some great guides up here uh-huh. and some great fishing. So come see me. Awesome. Awesome. Cinda, thank you so much. I just wish, uh, um, you, you know, for you that you've got, you've got your best season ever coming up in 2023. Um, as, um, as an onlooker, we, uh, you know, we really appreciate your, uh, uh, your, your advocate, uh, position on the Apache trout. More people need to step up and, and, uh, and, and, and help you and, 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 and help the fish, if you may, with, uh, you know, these, these laws and regulations to, uh, keep the, um, the fish available for generations to come. And, um, man, it sounds like you would just be a whole lot of fun to fish with and, and, uh, that, uh, people can learn a lot from you too. So, uh, you know, keep it up. That's, um, it's amazing what you're doing. Thank you, Ted. And obviously thanks for, for having me on your podcast. I, I greatly appreciate it, you know, getting the, the word out, you know, not only about Apache trout, but, you know, getting, shining a spotlight on women, you know, professionals and fly fishing is super important as well. And I really appreciate the platform that you have for guides like us to be able to help people and educate, you know, our fellow fly fishermen. Well, thank you so much. Tight lines. And I'm looking forward to uh, uh, catching up with you as this year goes on. Awesome. Thanks, Ted. Thank you.